good morning and welcome to the second week of the stewardship course seminar so last week um, as you guys saw and would have heard uh, Kyle used Jesus parable and the talents in Matthew 25 to explain um, our job as stewards stewards over everything the Lord gives us now if I can summarize in a few sentences um, that uh, teaching first uh, we don't own anything that we own. Uh, the Lord gives to us everything that we have to be good stewards of. So everything, our money, our jobs, our families, our bodies, our brain, our time, all these things belong to the Lord and he gives us to be good stewards of them. And we're given to be good stewards of these things for the purpose of showing that God is ultimately the one that supplies our needs. He's ultimately the one that sustains us, that upholds us, that feeds us with daily bread. And all these things point to his, his provision for us. Now, as today we'll look at and talk about the topic of faithfulness as it concerns stewardship. How do we steward the things that God gives us um, and be faithful in that responsibility, right? So here's, here's what I mean. Before you became a Christian, your life was probably about uh, accumulating things for yourself, like money or success or relationships um, or praise, vainglory, whatever it was. It was mainly about you. Then when you become a Christian, you think, okay, right, so I get this. It's not about doing stuff for me. It's about doing stuff for the glory of God, right? That seems simple enough. So I take that exact same mindset and aim it towards God and his glory. And then that means I'm living like a Christian. Now, that's true, but I think there's also a little more to it than that. The question you can ask yourself is, uh, does God need our help to um, be glorified? Is his glory contingent upon us? Right. If we go left, is um, does he sort of um, lessen in glory? If we go right, is he uh, is, is he heightened in glory? Um, and the answer is, of course, no. Essentially, uh, Psalm 50 verse 12 says, "The Lord really speaking here. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine." So God isn't sitting in heaven. Uh, helplessly hoping that we'll wake up and lend him a hand as we live our lives. Not only is he able to do anything um, that we can do, but he is God, so he's doing it better than we. It's, it's not even a comparison. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use us to do things, but it does mean that um, it's not... Um, essentially or it's not um, ultimately contingent upon us right God chooses to use us he doesn't he's not required to use us but in God's eyes it may well be important glorifying God will be important for maybe different reasons than we normally think so why did God give us the things that he gave to us what's his purpose what's the purpose for our stewardship of the things that he gives to us now to get the right answer to that question we have to look back at the parable, Matthew 25. Now keep in mind that today's class is about God's goal for our stewardship generally. 
our money, yes, but also our time, our jobs, our families, our bodies, every stewardship that God has entrusted to us. Now, thinking back on the parable, you can turn to Matthew 27. We'll sort of continue um, where we were last week. I'm sorry, Matthew 25, verse 14. So thinking about the parable of the tenants. So this week we want to consider um, why the faithless servant um, perishes, why he goes to hell, essentially. So as Kyle taught last week, in this parable, a master gives five talents to one servant, two to another, and one to a third, and then he goes away. When he comes back, he finds that the first two have used the talents and made more. So when the master calls them to account, uh, the result for the first servant is good. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Same with the second. But when the third servant comes, the, the response is different. Now, let me have someone read um, Matthew 25. Read verse 24 uh, down through 30. It's on the handout. Yes, it's on the handout as well. Yep. So 24 through 30. Thank you. Uh, verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. So, of course, this, and as you saw last week, the twist to this uh, story is at, at the very end. This language, out of darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, this is consistently throughout the um, New Testament associated with hell, um, separation from the goodness of God under the presence of his, his wrath. So what happens to the third servant? He goes to hell. In verse 30, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, uh, you can wonder what's going on here. This seems very uh, severe. It seems really intense for talents for uh, this servant, for his, for not essentially making more of what the Lord gave to him. Now, there are gospel implications being communicated here. If you take that pen out, the whole parable turns into sort of a moralism, uh, simply uh, doing good or doing better with something that we have. Um, But essentially, this is about something a little deeper than that. He was ultimately not pleasing to the Lord. Now, if we want to figure out why this third servant's actions deserve hell, uh, we can read this parable with with a sort of new set of eyes. The key to what this servant's actions said about his master is what's important here. The third servant tried to have things 
sort of both ways. He'd be okay if the master returned because he still returned the talent. And if the master didn't return, well, that's okay too because he spent the time his master was, uh, master was away sort of working for himself. Now, with that said, was his master, or rather what he said about his master was that he wasn't reliable to deliver on his promises. And I think that's, that's key. He didn't believe the promise that the master would return, one, and he didn't believe the master's promise to reward his servants. So there are a couple of things going on there. But that's just, but the fact that, or him thinking at least, the master would not return or doesn't reward his servants, of course, wasn't the case. The master is trustworthy. Uh, he's uh, credible. Uh, he keeps his promises. Uh, and he's extremely generous. After all, this master represents God. So when the third servant said, I knew you to be a hard man, he showed that he didn't really know the master at all. And his actions lied about the excellence and the faithfulness of his master. Now, if you contrast this with the actions of the first two servants, they took steps and made decisions. They put all their stock in the master's promises. Uh, they bet with their lives that he was good and that he would keep his word. And they risked everything on him, uh, which is the best thing they could have done, entrusting themselves to the master. And they were right in that. Now, this twist at the end shows that this is a parable essentially about faith, uh, faith in the master, faith in, in God. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, no one can serve two masters. So you cannot have it both ways, living for ourselves and living for God at the same time. Um, that doesn't work, and you just sort of ex expect to slip into heaven. Uh, the servant's double-mindedness, uh, it showed, and it showed in his lack of faith. Now, James tell, tells us that even demons believe in God and they shudder. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to what this has to do with faithfulness and stewardship. But um, James tells us that even demons believe in God and they shudder. So what's the difference between, we say, a demonic faith and saving faith? Uh, saving faith doesn't simply believe the facts about God. It believes that God is good and that he's for us, that his rewards are worth having, uh, saving faith believes that God is so good that we can trust him with our whole lives, leaving everything behind. When we live that way, our lives become sort of these living advertisements of how good and desirable God is. But when we say, I want to go to heaven, but I also want to sort of hedge my bets because I don't entrust myself to God for my salvation, then our lives become a living advertisement of something that's not good. It's saying that God is not trustworthy, just like the faithless servant. Now, in Jesus' parable to uh, the rich fool who builds bigger and bigger and bigger barns to hold all the stuff that he has, and then he dies and finds himself with nothing. Um, the, this, it, it's a similar sort of story, actually. Um, it shows us that there was a, a, a war of his affections what he loved, what he valued, what he treasured. Uh, for him, it was his stuff more than God, which shows that he didn't value his own life, his own eternity. And we see something similar here. 
So what are God's purposes for his stewardship or for our stewardship of, of what he gives us? This parable has, has an answer. The purpose is that we be faithful, that your life proclaim how good, how excellent, how trustworthy, and how satisfying God is. So every decision we make says something true about God or it says something false about God. Every decision. Now, as, as we grow in our Christian maturity and we see God caring for us in these, these different ways, we want to be more consistent. We want to um, more quickly entrust ourselves to God, right? That's a, it's a fight. It's a struggle, but it's a growing grace that we see. And we see that in Romans 8, 29, that we desire these things. We, we see ourselves. We fail. We fall. We don't entrust ourselves to God like we should. Um, we find that we are quick to forget how faithful God was last week or yesterday or a couple hours ago, and it slips our mind, and we suppress the reality that God is good for us, but we also realize that the Christian is being sanctified, right? We see our failures, but we're growing in grace, and Romans 8.29 is a promise of that. It tells us that he is conforming us to the image of his son. So even failures in faithfulness don't mean for the Christian um, a failure in their eternal destiny, but it's an opportunity that the Spirit is using and working in us to be conformed more to the image of Christ. Now, if you look at the third point on your uh, handout there, faithfulness proclaims who God is. Faithfulness proclaims who God is. All right, so let's look at that idea a little more closely. What we do matters because it shows off what God has done in us and for us. Stewardship isn't so much about um, what we accomplish as much as it's about um, those things being that we do accomplish um, being seen as one from the Lord and through that process entrusting ourselves and our resources to God. So that's exactly what we see at the very beginning in creation in Genesis 1. So our value as human beings is that God created us in his image, Genesis 1.27. We are the image of God. Our value is derivative. Our value is in our union with Christ. And what we do with our things shows that or it denies it. He created us to be sort of these living mirrors reflecting his image and his glory. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Let me have someone read Genesis one. 28. Genesis 128. And whoever gets there first, you can read it nice and loud for us. Okay. Thank you, Harrison. So we image God's love. Um, or we image God through love shown in our relationships. We image God through work as we exercise dominion. But the key in these things is that we, we image God as uh, in showing or in, 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 in um, stewarding what he gave to us well. We are valuable because we are the image of God and it's expressed through what we do. Now, that's not how the world, of course, sees success, right? It's obsessed with what we do. It says that um, 
the world says at least success means that we are valuable um, it means that we can essentially do um, whatever we have to do to make sure that we are successful whether we are stealing lying cheating deceiving the world says that your success is inherent to you so you have to build your life your philosophy your ethics your principles around this idea of, of success um, even uh, denying what is good for your neighbor um, even being so blinded that you deny what's good for yourself because of your pursuit of success and that become that it comes from an ethic and a philosophy that that the world has it's not just sort of this thing that they do they have a principle and that principle is that I'm the origin of my life. Um, I sort of steer the ship of my destiny, and I have to do whatever I have to do to make sure that I'm first, right? There's this sense of self-preservation at the cost of all good. So they have a moral principle too, it's just not the same as the Christian. So uh, God always intends that we do um, things um, and that we recognize our value mainly because it shows off his glory, not our own. So incidentally, and incidentally, when God cursed, uh, the, when God cursed in Genesis 3, uh, he curses Adam, he curses Eve, uh, he curses the ground. So relationships are changed, uh, work is changed, um, how we view ourselves in the world is changed. Now, why curse the very things that God commanded us to do back in Genesis 1? Work. He does this so that our relationships alone will never satisfy. So there's a, there's a God-given healthy dissatisfaction in even relationships and, and work. These things, when we go to work and we labor with our hands, which Ecclesiastes says is a great thing. It says the man works, he, sit back, he, he, he sits back, he looks at what he's done, and he enjoys the fruit of his labor. But even in that, and you see that in Ecclesiastes too, there's this sense of vain, vain, this is, this is vanity. And I believe in that, in those words, there's, a, there's a, um, a holy dissatisfaction with even work. There's a dissatisfaction with all of our relationships. We see and sense in it sin that taints and distorts. And all of these things, I remember um, Calvin said at one point, um, that the, that the Lord sprinkles um, even really good and enjoyable experiences, he sprinkles with them, he sprinkles them with um, afflictions so that as we enjoy uh, beautiful weather on a beach day or um, uh, an amazing time in nature with, with family, he sprinkles them with afflictions so that our hearts would long more for the age to come. So a beautiful beach day is sprinkled with rain or a melted ice cream that one of your kids drops and you spend the next two hours trying to console them. Or uh, a relationship that is, was, was a great relationship and went sour. Um, these things are sprinkled with God's afflictive providence to cause us to long for heaven more. And, and I see that, that, that here. Um, you see that in Ecclesiastes and I think you see that in Genesis as well. So all of these things, um, they're given to us to enjoy, but we also sense a dissatisfaction in them. They, they point us to something greater. So after Genesis 3, <clears throat> our mirrors are bent, uh, they're twisted um, from sin, 
us mirroring God. But then when you become a Christian again, or become a Christian, you become a new creation. So you've been created once in God's image, Genesis 1, but then you are recreated, reborn into his image a second time as a redeemed human being. So we're created in the image of God. Um, all things are being made new, um, starting with those who uh, believe and entrust themselves to Christ. Now this means that our life now has the opportunity to speak even more loudly about the excellence of our God. Do you realize that this is the main reason God has given you everything that you have? Um, your spouse, your children, your friendships, your parents, your brothers and sisters, the neighbor who lives next to you is not by chance, your coworker, your boss, all of these have been given to you for you to steward these relationships well. And so we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing? How are we doing with our relationship with our family? How are we doing with our relationships with our spouse, with our children, with our boss, even though they may be terrible bosses? <laughs> um, how are we doing in those, in those relationships? So that's, that's important. <clears throat> so think about all these things as gifts given to you. For some of you, that might be a musical talent. Um, you might be artistic. You may have some other gifts. You may know different languages. For some of you, that might be your family, your friends, um, schoolmates, uh, people you work with, somebody you're standing next to at the bank. Um, 1 Corinthians 4-7 reminds us that whatever we do, uh, or rather that what we do, we have uh, received from, from Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 10-30 reminds us that all that we have, whatever we do, eating and drinking, we should do to the glory of God. All right, so we have a responsibility in that. <clears throat> so you think about um, just another one last example here before we go to the next section. Um, if you're a professional and you're in a workplace, um, or mo most adults here who are working, you have a resume, right? That resume is filled with your accomplishments, things that you did. You want to sort of put your best foot forward um, and say, well, I've, I've done this, I graduated from here, I worked here, I worked here, I worked here, I did this, I did this, and it's dressed up to present the best you. Hopefully it's true, and it's not fabricated, but it's the best you. You present it, and it's a resume of your accomplishments. Now, if you think about that, and you think about the responsibilities you have in faithfulness and your stewardship of your responsibilities, if you're everyone who um, engaged with you or everyone close to you was on a resume, uh, how would that present? Um, what would it look like? Would we be failing in some areas? Would we, would we be doing well in some areas? Uh, are there some areas that we need to be praying about specifically that the Lord would help me to be a better stewardship over, a better steward over here or over here? Right? So those are things that we should, we should consider. Now let me ask you, I've been talking a lot and I'm tired of talking. <laughs> let me ask you, what are some things or some ways that you think that you can uh, intentionally um, better steward responsibilities that you have? Just think, think broadly. Think work, think family, think neighbor, think um, you know, within your home, whatever. For me, it's when I write it down, I make lists. Okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Because when I make a list, because um, when I make a list, I 
That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> that does feel good. <laughs> to check it off. Yeah. I got the same personality. Yeah. It's a good thing. It helps you organize who to pray for, who to be more intentional about. Yeah. So. Yep. I get that. And that may be a personality thing. Like when I, it's, it's crazy how much energy I feel when I get to check something off. Like I can be dog tired and I check it off and I'm like, okay, what's next? I think that's just maybe a personality type thing. But yeah. Anybody else? <clears throat> Think about your own life, your responsibilities, things that you feel you can steward better. So, you know, um, uh, things that we've done in the past are kind of like similar, but more like longer term. Yeah. Just to kind of like step back and like reevaluate like how much time do I have lot with these different things? Like what, what is a good priority for us? Mm-hmm. And just taking some time, just so it's good to kind of like check the pulse on it. You right. Know, more like bigger picture, like. Is that good? Is it better? Is it really good? Would you continue to change it? You know, just try to re ask questions of things mm. that you've been doing for a while. Yeah, that's you know, good. Kind of, yeah. So step back, reevaluate. Yeah. <clears throat> that's good. What else? Mark? Biggest thing is having realistic expectations. Realistic expectations. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a pretty broad stroke, <laughs> especially anywhere, but yeah, work. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, kind of an idol of control. Hmm. Kind of comes out in those different ways. So, yeah, you, you can. Right. Like, <clears throat> yeah, that can be. You can easily discourage yourself by having something on the list or an expectation of something that it's not really realistic. And you're pursuing this thing, and then you end up being super discouraged because you never actually accomplish it. And so I think, think there's wisdom in that, setting goals that are, um, that are actually things that you can accomplish um, because that's really how life often works. It's these small steps towards things that you, you may have a big goal, but those small steps towards it do help. Yeah, that's good. There's, there's wisdom in that. Stewardship, time management, right? Asking ourselves that. Um, angry birds can distract you for a long time. I know by experience. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So, time management, even as asking yourself those those little questions, and also, I think not assuming that we are um, wiser. Uh, more responsible than we actually are. You may just need to leave notes a bunch of different places on your steering wheel, on your mirror in the bathroom, on the door as you come in the house to remind you to do certain things. And that's, that's okay. Um, we are not supermen and super women. We are weak, needy people and our brains are tired and our bodies are tired and we just we need help. So there's wisdom in that too, just recognizing our own weaknesses weaknesses and doing things to, to help us in that. So good, good, good. All right, let's look at this next section here. Faithfulness matters more than results. Faithfulness matters more than results. 
Now, that may seem uh, straightforward, which it is, but that's, that's sort of where we are. And we see this, I think, in the world. We see a uh, results-oriented perspective on life and a pursuit, and we see a faithfulness-oriented perspective on life and, and that pursuit. Uh, most of us evaluate our lives based on results and what we do rather than faithfulness. So for example, as you consider your life, which are you more afraid of? Question again. A failure or faithlessness? Um, when you think about your own goals, your responsibilities, what causes you the most anxiety? A fear of failure or a fear of faithlessness? Failure is really ultimately about you. Uh, it's not living up to your potential or other people's unrealistic expectations of you. Faithlessness is about God. Through difficult seasons and seasons of ease, faithfulness is about entrusting yourself to God. <clears throat> so in God's economy, our job is faithfulness, not results. Because faithfulness is about entrusting ourselves to God, he'll take care of the results. So let me sort of tease this out a little bit. Let's say that you live on the top of a hill and you don't buy flood insurance. This is sort of a, an example. That's a very reasonable, good stewardship decision. Maybe you don't need flood insurance in this specific area that you live, right? Then let's say a crazy flood hits just first time in the history of this community and it just destroys your house. You lose everything and so I don't know, maybe that ruins a plan you had to be able to go on the foreign mission field or something or do something for your family, right? Um, ask yourself in that, have you failed? Uh, do you feel a sense of, would you feel a sense of failure in that? Well, from a results standpoint, maybe you do feel a sense of failure, but from a faithfulness standpoint, you haven't because you can stand before the Lord someday and you can give a good account for your life, even though God clearly had different plans than what you intended. Thinking through that flood insurance and trying to make the best decision for your family at the time, and a flood happens, doesn't mean you failed. You were still thinking carefully, thoughtfully. Um, you were trying to be a good steward, right? Um, and God had, had different plans. Here's another hypothetical example. Let's say my wife is a doctor. My wife is not a doctor, but she could be, I think. <laughs> She's a doctor to our kids. <laughs> Let's say my wife is a doctor. When we first have kids, uh, she significantly cut back on her um, work as a doctor to, to stay home. Um, let's say I try to encourage her in that, in that decision by reminding her how important it is for her to be at work at home with, with the kids. But in a few years, we're talking one afternoon and then she pushes me on that. She says, how can changing diapers and wiping noses really be more important than saving lives in the ER, right? And I realized in that moment that all my reassurances about motherhood being important were chasing after the wrong thing. So is wiping noses more important than saving lives? That's a wrong question to ask. <laughs> um, I think the better question 
does God really need us to do either of those? Is he, um, is his uh, work contingent upon us to do, to do either? All right, so we want to consider our lives and where the Lord has us um, and faithfulness in these areas rather than thinking about what the Lord hasn't given to us. So let's say, I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, if we're struggling with whether we should make decision A over decision B, and decision A seems like it is the more ethical, moral, uh, biblical decision, you know, we can look at the scriptures and say, okay, well, I know I should be doing this. Um, I think I want to do that, but it seems I should be doing this. I have these desires over here, but it seems like scripture is saying I should be over there. Uh, what, what should I be doing here? It can be a stewardship question. And how do we answer that? I think we answer that by looking at what the Lord has given us and has placed in front of us to steward at that moment, rather than considering what the Lord hasn't given us. Um, so let, let's come back to the example of, or the, the hypothetical situation of the, the, the wife who's at home with the kids. Um, she says, I have these gifts, I have this education as a doctor. I like to be in the emergency room, but I have these kids here, um, my kids that I love. Um, should I go and pursue being a doctor or should I, should I stay home? I think the question she should maybe ask herself, this isn't, I'm not necessarily saying <laughs> you, but I am saying something. Um, I think the question she should ask is, what has the Lord given to me? What has what he placed in my, or under my stewardship right now? Um, obviously for her, the answer is her children because she's there with them, right? So she ought to be given thought to what the Lord has placed in front of her rather than what could be, right? Um, I think that is under the umbrella of the uh, secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and our children. Um, I think there are stewardship implications in that. Now, there are, are a thousand different scenarios you could think about. Um, but considering that situation, I think it's good for us to have an underlying question of, um, and this may make it a lot more simple than, than, than we think. What has the Lord given me? What has he placed in my hands right now today for me to steward? And maybe that informs how we ought to think about certain things. Um, okay. <clears throat> Let's keep, keep moving here. Uh, in general, there's two problems with living for results. Um, one, we can't see what's truly valuable in doing that. So take two men. Which life will seem more valuable from the perspective of heaven? The first man, he spends his life fighting um, successfully for faith in Christ as he struggles through mental illness and depression. Uh, he never thrives financially. He never holds down a job for long. Um, he isn't really able to invest in the lives of others like he wants to. Uh, he feels like he's just surviving, fighting for faith every day. That's the first man. The second man heads up a large uh, enterprise, a corporation. He fights for the faith, for the glory of God. Um, and he, he, um, he's a good organizer of his responsibilities and he prospers in his work. He has a thriving family and career. How can we possibly know which one of those is more valuable? The man fighting for faith, struggling with depression every day, and the man who has a thriving business and a thriving family life and, and, and career. Which one is more valuable? I don't think 
we have the ability to determine that. Um, I think ultimately, for both of these men, it's about faithfulness and their striving to entrust themselves to God rather than about uh, uh, one having the appearance of success and another not. Um, <clears throat> the man struggling to keep his mind as he is constantly struggling for an assurance of faith in his walk and depression. Um, and the man who has full assurance, he's confident, he's thriving spiritually. Um, can we say that one is successful and one is not? Um, I don't think we can say that this one is failing and this one is not. I think it's a matter of stewardship rather than it is um, a success-oriented view. Um, the second uh, example here, or, or a, a second problem with a results-oriented perspective. If we measure success based on the value of what we do, we're bound to be disappointed. Proverbs 23, 4-5 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth, but be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. So if you are a doctor, everyone you will ever save will eventually die. If you're a successful business person, um, every business that you start will eventually be given to another. This is what Ecclesiastes tells us. Um, every bridge you design as an engineer will eventually rust, decay. Most of what we teach our kids, they will probably forget. Most of what we write, um, no one will read. I know this sounds really depressing, but this, it has an Ecclesiastes tone. <laughs> The world is full of monuments to important people that we have never heard of. Worldly accomplishments, even ones done from a good motive and intention, don't often last. But what's important in those things is faithfulness and entrusting ourselves to God. <clears throat> faithfulness is usually imperceptible, too. It's not something that people look at. Uh, but people don't get awards usually for faithfulness. They don't have award shows for faithfulness. They don't have, uh, um, people don't have parties to celebrate. You've been faithful. Uh, the world has no regard for that. They don't care. Uh, but, but God does, and the Christian community um, does. And we encourage one another in that direction and, and in that way, the way of, of faithfulness. <clears throat> so of course, we need to be careful when we pit results against faithfulness, because sometimes results or what helps us to see that we're being faithful. We can recognize that. If you're a missionary in a closed country and you go for 10 years without seeing any converts, that can be really discouraging. Um, it's possible that at the same time, you've been a faithful steward and the Lord just hasn't grown it. And it's also possible that maybe there are better ways that you could serve um, and be a part of the uh, building of God's, God building his kingdom, right? Um, if you invest the money that God's given you in the stock market and you lose half of it, it's possible that you did your research, you thought through it, you prayed through it, you got counsel, you made a decision, and you cast a lot how it lands belongs to the Lord and you lose half your money. Um, or, so we, we could look at it that way and say, I failed, I wasn't faithful. Or we could say, well, I have given thought to this, and the Lord has determined how, how it ended. So the results don't necessarily always mean that you're not faithful, um, but they can mean at times that you haven't maybe given thought to something. So that can go both ways. 
Ultimately, though, what we're working for are not the results themselves, but for but to be counted faithful before the Lord. Remember, God isn't dependent on us. He's not dependent on us to pass legislation or jobs or, or to raise our children or to fund missionaries or to give advice or to feed the hungry. Uh, he is the better ruler, the better father, the better evangelist, the better missionary, the better counselor, the better provider of all that we have. But our jobs, our kids, our work as a missionary, our building up businesses, all of these things are given to us that we would steward them well. Again, 1 Corinthians 10:31. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Okay? I have a couple pages here that I won't get to, but I'll open up the floor for questions, um, comments. Harrison? Quiet faithfulness. I like that phrase. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Questions? Mark? I was just thinking through if, if, you're, if someone moves uh, forward and um, trusting the Lord faithfulness that they have, is there, can there also be an area where presuming? Yeah. Like, say, like I'm looking at the houses and I, I think I'm going to move over here. Right. And but there's no job there, but I'm hoping, okay, but maybe a job opportunity. This is a bad, maybe a bad example. Yeah, yeah. It, it could be plugged in, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That would be presumptuous. <clears throat> yeah, I think there are things that you can, <clears throat> you, you have to think through, right, for your family. I think you have to think through is there a, let's say someone's moving away, is there a good church in this area? A faithful church who preaches the gospel is there um, will I be able to find a job and to provide for my family in this this area um, is this an area where I feel like I'd be able to um, raise raise kids um, now people raise kids in a, a bunch of different areas but you know for you and your family what's best in, in, in that sense God knows ultimately but you see what I'm saying so th- there are things that you need to consider. The schools in this area, you know, are there hospitals in this area? You know, can I get to the grocery store? So there, there are several things to, to think about, but some primary things, which I think is uh, fellowship, church, work, and how that uh, context fits within your family dynamic. So I think those are considerations. Now, of course, at times we say, you know, again, there are a thousand different <laughs> hypotheticals, but I think there are underlying principles you should have in place as you make the decision and uh, what God has given to you to steward well um, I think are those those things your family spirituality finding a church being able to provide finding a job finding a job and how that works with your specific family 
dynamic. I think it would be unwise for a person with a child who has a lot of a, a handicap and is very high need um, to move to an area where there's a, the closest hospital or facility is 100 miles away. I would say you shouldn't do that. I think that's unwise. Uh, but again, you have to think through those things for your individual family. But I think your family spirituality and you being able to provide are some primary things. Um, so it can be unwise uh, to do it. That doesn't mean it always is. But, uh, so anyway, any other thoughts, questions? Harrison? that 100% well said yeah all right well so I'll close out there um, but that, that, that's a really good point that is important to remember that the Lord has given to all of us what we are to steward um, and we have to do it with an eye to Christ um, with without giving thought to um, the world's perspective of success um, the Lord may bless our work um it may struggle and fail um but the lord ultimately determines what he gives success to and uh 
in God's economy, it's more about faithfulness than it is results. Yeah. So, yep. Let me pray for us, and we'll we'll close out. Lord, we give you thanks for your kindness to us. We thank you for the word. We thank you for uh, the Holy Spirit, which is working in believers to the end of their uh, conformity, more to the image of Christ. Uh, we pray that you will continue to help us think through um, these ideas of stewardship and um, that you would give us a biblically informed uh, view of these things, um, not entrusting ourselves, um, but entrusting ourselves to you, Lord, and pursuing wisdom and all these things. Um, you, you tell us that if we lack wisdom, we should ask, and you give it liberally, freely, um, cheerfully. Um, so, Lord, please, please give us wisdom. You know all the different areas that we're trying to think through how to steward better from our relationships to our jobs to um, you know, everything that you gave us, our, our bank accounts, Lord. Help us to, to steward these things well so that at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, um, we can uh, know by the Spirit as we struggled and fought and failed and fought and succeeded and all these different things that we can um, before you stand knowing that um, ultimately our greatest treasure and reward is fellowship with our triune God um, in, 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 in heaven and uh, that we've uh, run the race with, with diligence by the strength you've given us, um, stewarding what you've given us well. So Lord, glorify yourself in our weaknesses and uh, give us strength and encouragement to continue to fight the good fight of faith. Um, with wisdom and help from your word and spirit. In Christ's name, amen.